I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey. Without a strong why, it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential. My name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you. Hi everyone, I'm Jason Ballara and this is the Know Your Why podcast. Today I'm here with Ivan Vian. Ivan is the co-founder and COO of Anthem Capital. He was a retired Lieutenant Colonel from the Air Force after 20 years and he's passionate about operational excellence and execution of his apartment communities and their impact on the surrounding communities. Um, Ivan, first, let me just say, well, thank you for your service and thank you for, for being on the show today. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Jason. Pleasure being here and excited to have the opportunity to share. Awesome. Awesome. Well, let's start. Let's just get uh, so get people to know you a little bit better. Why don't you tell us your background, um, your story? Obviously, uh, you have a military background, but I, I'm sure there's more to you than that. So let's hear a little bit about you and how you got into real estate. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, born and raised in Salem, Oregon. Uh, grew up in the Northwest. I love the trees. I love the uh, the mountains and blue water I have over there. Um, not like where I live today in Oklahoma City. Uh, pretty flat out here and not much blue water, but uh, quite honestly, I enjoy Oklahoma City and I've been here for a while now. Uh, I spent 20 years in the Air Force. Um, uh, went to the Air Force Academy, graduated in 2001 and um, spent 20 years flying the B-1 bomber and uh, been all over the world. But now I do uh, multifamily investing full time. Um, kind of how I got involved in real estate, uh, investing started off with, uh, first trying the stock market investing world, uh, going to the Air Force Academy, they would preach to you about how it's so important to invest in the stock market. Um, and, uh, on the junior year, they have the company USAA come over to the base or the, the, the campus and they offer you this low interest loan. And the, the whole idea that I had was instead of buying a car with my low interest loan, I was going to invest in the stock market. And earn uh, a return on investment greater than my the percentage of my loan and, and keep the difference. Well, I put my uh, $21,000 investment in an aggressive growth fund back then, and uh, it went zero overnight, basically. And and like everything that I put my hopes in, and after all that teaching and, and, and whatnot, I mean, the professors would, I mean, it would be like a engineering class, but they would spend the first 20 minutes talking about investing in the stock market. I mean, that's how wow. much they conditioned you to believe that this is the way to to preserve, create a future for yourself when you retire from the Air Force. Well, that investment went zero overnight. And of course, I became very uh, uh, frustrated. It became angry, but I was like, there's got to be a better way to put your hard-earned money to work for you. And I started venturing out and started learning about other ways to go about doing that. And that's when I discovered uh, owning rental properties. I started reading basic books about rental properties. Um, and how I first got my first deal, uh, now fast forward 2007, I'm getting relocated to Abilene, Texas. And I was staying with my mother-in-law at the time. So our house wasn't ready for us to move in. And my wife was pregnant with my first uh, child. And my mother-in-law was like, hey, there's this lady going through a divorce down the street and she really wants to sell her house. Maybe she'd go see if she's willing to sell it to you. And uh, I literally just dropped everything I had in my hands. I was like, I think I was still trying to move into the a little room in that house and went down the street, knocked on a door and introduced myself and said, hey, I heard you're trying to sell your house. You said you want to buy it. I said, sure. 
I said, how much? He said, 33,000. I said, sold. <laughs> That's about how quick it went. And I bought that house. And, you know, I didn't even do a comp study. I didn't do, I understand how much it costs to fix it up. I, I put my eyes on it. You know, I looked around, but it looked good to me. And it's like, sounds like that's a cheap price. I think I could buy a car for that. Sure. Why not? And USA did give me a loan for 90% loan to value to buy that house. I was all in about five, 6,000 bucks and I rented it for 850. And uh, I was realizing about a $300 a month cash flow. I said, oh my gosh, there's something to this real estate game. I didn't lose 21,000. I just bought an, an asset investment property that is not paying me monthly cash flow. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> hard lesson to learn on the stock market. There, I guess that's that's not the way you want to start in investing. And um, but but yeah, it it, it makes the point that uh, typically the stock market is a lot more volatile. I mean, it, real estate's all over the news now because of interest rates. But I think in general, despite that, it's still the less volatile, safer investment vehicle than than the stock market. It, it's people don't talk so much about how much the stock market is lost because that just happens and it, people <laughs> it's sort of normal it's not news anymore but right. um so you you started th this first house um i imagine you probably can't get a get a $33,000 house much of anywhere right now but um from there you so you were going to live in that one or you bought that specifically to rent i bought it as a rental property okay yeah. okay perfect and then uh kind of continue that same process from there yeah you know and so now i got the real estate bug and uh you know the, the next house though didn't go as well unfortunately um this time it was i don't know about four or five months later um like i said my wife was was uh pregnant with our first child and uh we had to rush out to the door to go to the hospital for her to deliver the child well we didn't bring the bag right so we get through the delivery and she's like hey go home and get the bag so i go back home to get the bag and i remember stepping out the front door with the bag in my hand i looked out to the left and i was like oh yeah there's this abandoned home next to me with all these windows boarded up i wonder what's going on with this house right and i look at my watch i was like you know what she's asleep i've been there for a while oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> we like go uh go figure out who owns this house and see what what i can do with that and so i looked up the address on the tax roll or county assessor site and found out the person lived down the street if this person in fact owned the house i went down the street and i was like you know i got time i'm gonna go figure it out real quick I went down to the street the house down the street and uh knocked on this guy's door and it was this very large man with his shirt off a lot of hair on his chest i remember he's like what do you want i was like sir i think you own the house next to me yeah so and he goes well do you want to buy us maybe he said well step inside and literally I, now i'm in his house i go up to <laughs> these stairs into his attic i'm like in this little darkened room in his attic oh and, and he's got like this one light bulb hanging down over the table and he's like saying basically he's like showing me this note he had on it this piece of paper said seventy five thousand dollars if you want to buy it you got to pay me seventy five thousand. that's what i owe on it i said uh okay sold <laughs> so i bought that house for seventy five thousand. long story short i didn't do a comp study again i didn't do a rental market study i didn't understand exactly how much it's going to cost i just knew i wanted to fix it up and rent it out I overpaid for that house, over rehabbed it. And I realized I couldn't rent it out enough to even barely cover my debt service on that property. And I went $80,000 in the hole. And it was a very challenging time. I had to borrow money from my mom, had to put money on my credit cards. And I learned a very tough lesson very quick. And uh, I spent the next six months rehabbing that house and um, got through the rehab. 
And what I ended up doing is moving into that property is brand new. Essentially, I took it down to studs, brought it back up and rented out the one I was living in. And I had a decent interest rate on that. I was still able to cash flow on the one I was living in. So I was able to kind of save the deal, but now I've got this $80,000 debt problem I have to now burn off and figure out how to get out of. And I said, there's got to be a better way to do this. I need to get some education. And so that's when I joined a mentorship group and started really learning how to invest correctly in, in passive real estate. And from that point forward, I took a step back and went after it with a whole new, better approach moving forward. Okay. So yeah, you got, got some education, got some <laughs> not buying houses in people's attics anymore while your wife's in labor. That's probably, that's probably <laughs> a better way to go about doing it. Um, <laughs> so you, you, how long were you kind of uh, investing in, in, on the residential side and single family? I ended up, you know, after that, I started over, I moved to Oklahoma City and I ended up buying a whole bunch more houses and everything changed, turned the corner for me. And uh, the quick version of the story is I ended up getting my investor realtor's license and I was selling houses on my lunch break and I have to work. I ended up selling 99 houses in two years. And that was uh, a turning point in my investment career. I made all this money and I was able to buy about 30 single family homes all the way up until about 2016. I had a good run in there for 2013 to 2016 for about two and a half, three years. We're buying the same houses around 35 to say 50,000 bucks a pop. And they're all in around say 70 to $90,000. And I was getting 2% deals at the time on the single family. Um, and, but that's when 2016, I remember things just started to not underwrite as well. And we couldn't get the 2% deals becoming one and a half and 1.1 and 1.2 kind of deals. Like there's gotta be a better way. And that's when I, I always wanted to be a multifamily investor. And, and that mentorship program I joined when I uh, made the first mistake in that second house, um, they had an apartment investment um, day on the second day of their two-day event. And I, I immediately got butterflies. I still remember this. I was like, that is what I want to do. That is cool. That's sexy. That's the place to be. But I didn't have the mindset. I didn't have the belief. And I didn't, certainly didn't think I had enough money to be able to do something like that. So that's why I continued on a single family path. But 2016... I was selling, like I said, I sold 99 houses. My my first client, um, uh, who's now my business partner, he bought 45 of those 99. And he, um, he, I introduced the idea of apartment investing with him. And he decided to come with me to this two-day event in Dallas. And basically, he kind of sponsored me, me on because I worked hard and I really served my clients well and I helped him get a lot of homes. He decided to become my partner. And that's when everything shifted here in 2016. Um we ended up getting into apartment investing. And I ended up selling all my houses. So apartment investing is the place to be. The economy of scale makes much more sense. And the return on your time makes much more sense. I was tired of going to Home Depot and I made a thousand Home Depot stops over the course of my single family days. And now I could pay a company, go do the Home Depot runs and do everything else. I now become an asset manager and I'm overseeing assets. I'm learning about asset management and how to improve the value of investment properties while minimizing my downside risk and my my thought process my role everything started shifting and some keys there was mentorship i got another mentor who was very savvy very good at apartment investing uh continue to work on my mindset uh and, and grow internally personally so that i can have the belief in myself that i can be buying these multi-million dollar assets right um, and partnerships this was so valuable and key for me. Um, my business partner, Tariq, I mean, he was a transaction side. He has a corporate finance background. 
I mean, I was flying airplanes, right? How do, how can I close a deal over a telephone call at 24,000 feet in my airplane? It just doesn't, like, I mean, there's ways to hook up communication systems to do that, but <laughs> I probably wouldn't be flying again after that. So I'd get fired from the airport. Right. Yeah. yeah, the Air Force so, probably doesn't want you using, <laughs> using right. your time up there in the air. Like yeah, that. like, you know, like, <laughs> let me, uh, let me, uh, Talk to my banker. Hey, hold on, guys. I know we're in the middle of a mission here, but let me uh, make a phone call from the air to my <laughs> banker on the ground. See, what, see what, if you can answer this question. Yeah, that wouldn't work out. So, yeah. so but partnership was key, and and I was able to uh, handle my part as an operational side to manage the property management company ways that it could fit into my work schedule at the time. And so I remember actually having KPI calls on the side of a road somewhere at times on my cell phone. You can do a lot with a cell phone these days. You can have all your information on the cell phone, all the communication you need to do. Uh, I remember, you know, like in between meetings or whatever it was, I would still find ways to get that piece done on a certain limited basis. I mean, you know, you can only scale so far, right? But that's how we we're able to start to scale. And so we've been doing my property, um, excuse me, my investment company, Anthem Capital. We've been buying properties and selling properties, holding properties for seven years now. Uh, it's been an absolute game changer in my life. We've owned roughly 3,000 doors. We bought about 19 properties. We sold 14, raised around 90 million in equity and realized about a 27% average annualized return. And it's absolutely changed my life. I live... I was able to kick the nine to five job and I, I live my dream life. You know, I mean, um, it's not that I don't work. I still work and maybe even work harder than I've ever worked my entire life. So I'm building a company, building a business and I'm in charge of people's money. And I want to make sure that I preserve it to the best of my absolute best ability. So I take that very seriously. Right. But the freedom you have of, uh, not having someone look over your shoulder every day or questioning what you're doing, where you're going and what you're doing with whatever you're doing with the, the freedom you have to be outside of these circles where they don't understand that you can actually do better, not investing all in the stock market or just saving your money for a rainy day kind of mindset or cutting back on your living lifestyle. So you can have a little bit more money. I don't think we have savings problems. We have income problems. we got to find ways to make more money, not save more. We do, you know what I mean? Like from a high level standpoint, of course, we could always be smarter with our money, managing our money, of course. But there's, if you find a way to make money work for you, you'll have more of it at the end of the day. Um, and so it's been an absolute incredible uh, experience to ride to get to this point where we are today with Anthem Capital. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. I don't, <laughs> I don't think uh, people are going to save their way out of financial issues. I mean, there's, there's a lot more to it than that. Um, Let's talk a little bit about asset management, something something we both uh, are passionate about. Talk about some of the things in your experience that have become, you know, sort of best practices. What what do you find um, helps in terms of being that asset man managing the manager, right? You're 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 really kind of um, working closely with whatever third party management group you have. Do you have? Uh, do you, are you guys vertically integrated or you have a third party? We don't do vertical integration. We like to be nimble and we like to be in multiple um, markets. So um, more focused on that than uh, property management. So no, um, but we do vertically integrated construction management, but not property management. Gotcha. Gotcha. So how do you sort of feel that that's best operated as, as the asset manager? How, how do you feel um, that you manage that role? Sure. Well, 
just like in the flying world and the bomber world, you got to start with the target, the end in mind. And you build a plan actually from the end backwards to the beginning. The beginning is the runway where you take off. The end is the target, right? And actually the runway is the end because you want to land where you hopefully do, yeah. right? But uh, so that's the same in the, in the investment world. You start with the end in mind. What is the end? The projected investor returns that you communicated to investors you want to meet or exceed the projected investor returns. You build a plan to make sure you hit that target. And so way we do that in the uh, property management, working with property management companies, we build a budget with them. We have our own performa, but then you have a property budget, which is separate than your performa. The performa numbers are incorporated, but we actually want the property budget to be above our performa numbers so that we can hopefully uh, under promise and over deliver to our investors. So if our NOI is say a million on the performa level, maybe we want a 1.5 or 1.3 on the property level to give ourselves some extra pad and to set the expectation with our property management company of what we are trying to achieve. And we work with the property uh, management company on a very closely in building this budget. We ask them for initial pass, they give us initial pass, and then we'll set aside a day to meet with the property management company to go over the entire budget line by line by line. And that is where the tone is first set, where the expectation is first communicated and that's when you're sharing with them they need to know what you want to do with your the property right and they need to understand what your business plan is so part of the way about doing this is making sure you clearly communicate what is your business plan what you're trying to achieve and they say what do i need to hit and you tell them we need to hit a 1.3 million dollar noi for example then we sketch that in we're building it in and we're seeing exactly how can we execute the business plan. And I think this topic here on execution piece, understanding how to truly execute a plan, people don't truly have an appreciation for if you haven't done it. And if you haven't done it, partner with somebody who has. Because at the end of the day, this plan you're building is not numbers on a piece of paper. It's people and processes and parts and materials, peoples and processes. So to rehab those units and say you want to rehab five units per month, 10 units per month, what is your process and your plan and where are you going to get these materials and where are you going to get the people to do that and literally sketch that out and make sure you understand if that is a feasible plan or not and how much execution risk is built into your plan. You're walking through those steps in this budget meeting with them. And you're walking through exactly how and what template of interior improvements you're going to be using. And maybe you don't know exactly at first because you want to do A-B testing. You want to go all in with all the type of amenities you want in an interior unit, or you want to do middle of the road, or you want to do nothing. You're testing the market, but you have those templates kind of understood up front, and you're getting feedback from your property management company on exactly what they think you need to do to get this property to the next level. And again, you're putting all these inner workings on a piece of paper and the budget, but you're talking through the processes. What construction company is going to do it? Um, where the materials are going to come from? How are you going to get them there on time? Like those are the things that people don't appreciate and understand that you need to understand on the back, on the other side of owning this property. You got it across the finish line, but I've, there's been many, many times I bet people like don't have a plan. They talk, they think they communicated a plan, but they don't have the people, I should say, to put that plan in place. Figure out that those people and figure out those processes before you even get into an investment. And me as a passive investor, I'm going to ask those questions. Who, who is the construction company? What is their track record? 
How were they able, and what have they previously done? How did they actually accomplish it? Where did they get their materials from? And I know exactly what goes on in the material world these days because I go, I live through the challenges. Like certain companies out there don't deliver like they say they're going to deliver. And if they're not delivering like they say they're going to deliver, where are you going to source those materials? A lot of people say China, right? Well, do you even have China set up, right? Yeah. Da, 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 da. So you're going through all those inner workings, okay? Now, yeah, I think I've proved my point there. Now you have the plan in place. Then you push play. Then you have weekly KPI calls. I like to be very streamlined in my communication processes, even with email and everything. By the way, you don't have a lot of people talking to one person, one voice talking to property management company. On emails, you can have one person doing the communication. You can CC everyone else, streamlining communication, or you can use Slack. We put a lot of our back and forth inside of Slack to save and cluttering up your inbox. I hate email, by the way. I like Slack a whole lot better. It's easier to keep track of communication and task management. You have task management tools. You can use Monday. You can use Asani. You can use um, Basecamp. You can use all kinds of different tools to track different tasks and to-dos with each of these properties. You have a KPI sheet. I have like 1.80 different line items I look at. Some of it, I have an assistant that fills in on the back end. And some of it, I have the property management company fill in a KPI sheet. Well, the KPI sheet has the budgeted numbers that you agreed to in the budgeting meeting. That was budgeted numbers go in the KPI sheet. Then you track the progress on a weekly basis, what, how the property is performing. And you're making adjustments along the way. And the, the mindset of an asset manager is you have the end target, you're working backwards, you're leading and you're managing, you're not doing. So you're leading and managing. You give enough room for the property management company to do what you hired them to do. Let them do their job. Don't do it for them. They want to do their job. They want to perform. They're there to um, provide a great service for you. So understand that. Don't be that micromanager. Be that person that gives them the tools and the resources they need to do their job well, enough room to do their job well, but do verify. Do make sure that when they put 98% on that KPI sheet, you still look at the rent roll, you know, and make sure it's trending or it's 98%. Um, do put your eyes on the financial statements. I, we look at them three or four times a week. I'm watching the income on a financial statement. It's not just on the KPI. I'm pulling the income statement. I'm looking at it. Do understand what your projected uh, exposure is going to be. That's very critical is understanding exposure and that is tied to the seasonality of properties. Meaning like you may have a lot of notice to vacates coming up here in, in the uh, summertime because you manage your lease expirations appropriately where it's that bell curve where it's peaking out in the summer and a lot of people move in the summer. So do you understand the exposure that's going to be at place uh, in place? Not just what's on the KPI sheet, but look at the NTVs and understand the exposure rates. That will have a huge impact on the bottom line income that comes into your property and how you're able to manage that. Um, and in the in the KPI call, we also have a renovation um, renovation uh, meeting, the very first half of the call, where we bring on the construction manager to talk about potential deliveries of units, uh, any roadblocks, any projected future units that we want the construction manager to do. We're sketching that whole thing out on a weekly basis. And we have processes on the back end to make sure that we have an, an, um, a way to schedule in each of these unit rehabs. And also so that we can order the materials ahead of time to make sure we, um, one, understand what the lead times are so that you do not create any bottlenecks. And just what I'm describing right here, this whole thing is a full-time job. 
It is not, you can buy some asset and, and by the way, I don't expect any company, property management company, unless they have a, a, a dedicated construction arm to be able to manage all of these processes. An asset manager or, or a designated someone on the, on the ownership team needs to be in the middle of these processes to make sure that you do not create any bottlenecks. And one key thing in today's market, we were spoiled in the, in the previous market, pre-COVID, pre-interest rate hike, where we had all these, this natural organic rent growth, a lot of, to do with the liquidity that was infused in the system that created um, artificial cap rate compression, right? Those days are now gone. It is truly about execution. And the thing is, is this, you do not have any room for error, very little. I mean, you create it in your plan, yes, you're gonna have that buffer available, but that buffer is smaller than it's ever been. So you gotta be able to execute. You gotta have these processes and people and plans in place. Right, in order to be able to execute correctly, because the things that I'm talking about, these bottleneckings where materials don't show up, cabinet doors don't show up, something doesn't show up that just cannot make a unit rentable. And you go to all the local vendors, and everyone is out of stock because all the challenges that COVID created. Well, how are you going to solve that problem? How are you going to get cabinet doors there to get that unit rentable? Right, or you'll have uh, communication processes not in place where the construction company is producing units, but the property management company doesn't know about it because you didn't create a communication two-way street. And so the property management company is not advertising and marketing that unit that is sitting there rent ready. And so weekly, we look at the availability sheet and we look at the rental tracker and we make sure there are no gaps between the rental tracker on the projected deliverables and when the availability sheet says a unit is going to be ready so that the property manager can be marketing that unit and selling it and putting in the system, showing it rent ready for someone to lease. All these particulars that I'm talking about is how we do it. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, you just hit on a, a ton of really important points. And it, I think what all that you just said, Ivan, like really illustrates the point that the asset management, especially right now in this, in this market, because, you know, years prior, it was kind of like, well, you did an okay job with the cap rate compression and the rent growth and all of that, it was going to, the values of the properties were going to go up. If you're talking about a value add property right now, your management skills and techniques and processes, that's going to be the key to sort of winning and losing on these properties. And your, the way that you're approaching the KPIs and the meetings with the um, property management group. So it, it just, it really outlines what's, what's very important in the space. So you're doing, you're vertically integrated on the construction side, and then your third-party management is, is is managing sort of all of the leasing and everything like that, correct? Correct. I would say, uh, I mean, not 100% correct. We do have some property management companies that have, they are suited, that they can handle the capacity or the, the work, additional mm -hmm. workload of managing a project, then we're not vertically integrated. But other companies are, do not have that built out. So we do though, and here's how we handle that. This is, this was, um, I mean, I get excited about this. So I went through the, the trials and tribulations of trying to get a construction company to come and work on your property. One, if you're in this business, you're gonna know that no company wants to do interiors. There's no money, very tedious, especially these older properties are cumbersome and it takes a lot of time, but very little, um, very little bit, uh, very little profit for a construction um, 
company's time. So the way you get them to agree to do the interiors, you have to give them a whole project on an exterior, parking on paint, whatever it may be. So that's where a lot of the upside is, or maybe you have to replace a bunch of balconies, right? And I had, and I've been in situations where construction companies we we go to contract, but then they don't show up, and or they're not managing the expenses. They're not really carrying the bottom line, and they're pushing the expense piece to to the owner, and they don't they don't have any incentive to manage the expenses. I've seen all the ways that things work in the change order world, and the change orders come in, and that's where a lot of the upside money is for construction managers. So, for what we did is, um, I um have a friend who uh this is still related to what we're doing but uh tied to the ukrainian effort and with all the refugees going on in ukraine and a lot of the ukrainian people coming from there are construction workers and uh, the u.s government has a program where you can fast track people into the u.s to get them away from um the, the, the war effort over there and and still find work and make a contribution so what we did is we created our own construction company using Ukrainian workers. About 50% were refugees, 50% were based out of the U.S. And what happens is uh, they live on site. And so they're not uh, they're not tied to any, they're not being asked to date any other owner, any other property. Like my property is the only property they're dating day in, day out. They get up, they work from morning to late at night. And it's been incredible. Excuse me, my productivity went up. By 5x, I was turning maybe two or three units a month up to 10 units a month now. And my cost went down by 15% overall. And um, when you look at productivity, that, that is so key. One of the biggest things that kills a deal, a, a plan is vacancy loss. Going back to that bottlenecking issue. If uh, the previous construction, one example, previous construction, yeah, we can do 10 units a month, no problem. You know, and say we gave them five or six instead of 10 let's make sure five or six and these, we could do those a month well two months go by they they only produce a couple three months go by only produce well it takes a while to get materials here okay fine now it's been three months we have the material plan figured out and you've only produced five or six those five or six and then well we're about done with these let's get some more so that gets some more units and now they have 10 units offline yeah. and then that creates a bottleneck issue because you have 10 units offline and not producing units right? And that creates huge vacancy loss. Vacancy loss on average, 1200 bucks a unit, 10 units, what's uh, 12,000 bucks just right there. And so I'm not worried about economic loss. I'm worried about vacancy loss. I'm just trying to get some units online and rent it out. Don't have the, didn't have this issue with the, the Ukrainian team. And I created my whole vertically integrated construction company. I brought in a designated person that can source materials very efficiently and fast and work through all the roadblocks it's that's a full-time gig working through the roadblocks getting materials on site on time and the back in accounting thing is like that is a very huge challenge but we line that whole system on the back end piece another piece that people don't talk about is making sure the capex draws happen in a very efficient manner because you got to get your guys paid they deserve to be paid obviously right and you want to pay them on time and pay them well you got to have someone managing that back end accounting piece and then making sure that whatever was given to you on the estimate is what you build on an invoice and making sure the quality is there. If you're not co-located with these assets or you don't have the time to go look at every single line item on an interior unit to make sure the paint base, every single thing is done correctly, you gotta have a system of person uh, built in the process. So we have full-time construction manager to manage that whole thing. And uh, that's how we operate today on the construction side.
I love that. I, I, I would, I, I've actually thought about that a lot. I think it would be construction is, is a background in construction. That, like that's the part that, that makes a lot of sense to me. I enjoy it. Um, I have to make sure that I don't get too hands-on cause I do enjoy it. But I, I, I think that, um, you know, sort of creating your own crew and construction management piece is a really, it's a great idea, but it's, it's almost, it's almost something that has to happen eventually. I think as, as you grow and scale, because your, your property management, your third-party property management, most of them, I think are at best, you know, sort of mediocre on the construction management side. And it's not, it's not really their fault. It's just, there's a lot to do, right? It's like you have really two large components of property management. There's the, if it's a value add deal, there's that construction and, and all of that. And then there's the leasing side. And it's, if you, what I think is getting them to be good at the leasing side, if I can have someone who's excellent at leasing and handling the tenants, and then I can manage the the prop or manage the construction as an asset manager, that's something that can work well together and have, you know, good success at the property level. So I love the idea of, um, you know, sort of creating that construction arm and, and um, having the Ukrainian refugees as part of it. I, I think it's all uh, very smart sort of way to solve a, a substantial problem in the business. I think a, a substantial or, or bo not, bottleneck is probably the, the way that you've stated is, is exactly correct. It's just a place that you can get caught, um, you know, sort of going too slow if you're not, not right on top of it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You're so as you, you move forward um, and, you know, sort of you're growing the business and everything like that, is that, something that you anticipate being strictly within your business, Anthem Capital, construction only for you, or do you think you'll build out a construction business that can help other uh, investors as well? We have a construction business to help out other investors. So um, we're, we, we're here to help others. We, we can help build out the same systems and processes for other people. Um, so if you're interested, I can get my contact info in the, in the end and they can reach out. Awesome. Okay. Really cool. Well, uh, with that in mind, let's let's go ahead and switch gears, and I will ask you the questions that I ask every guest. The first one is, of course, being based on the name of the show, being "Know Your Why." What's your why, Ivan? What drives you towards um, you know bigger and bigger success? A couple answers. Um, I say my eight eyes are my whys. My eight eyes are my whys. So there's four people in my family: my wife, my three boys, uh, except my eight whys, um, particularly my boys. One with my wife, we set out on this dream many, many, many years ago um, to be a full-time apartment investor. And the dream came true. So uh, we want to live up to our own dreams that we set for ourselves. For my boys, I, I want to show them that you can dream. You can think big. I want to teach them to think big and think farther, think wider than their dad has ever thought. And But show them that uh, this is the outcome of all when you are when you're hyper-focused on a goal and intently focused on a goal, uh, it does come to pass. So I want to prove that to them so that they can have that understanding for their, for their future. Um, and the last thing is uh, innately in me, I, the more you grow internally, the more you realize there's more to learn about yourself. And I think there's just this curiosity in me to see 
how far I can grow in my life personally, professionally, and all that I do. Um, and that there though is not only for my own personal financial gain, I think, I think for me, I have my own, this is my personal belief. I have my own moral duty to do that, which I can give back and, and, and be of asset to this world and in the capacity that I am. And, uh, being a value is doing the work that I do and creating value with people's investments. Um, and to show people that you can do this thing that I'm doing and you can come literally from nothing or have whatever past you can think of, you can still live this life. And so I'm inspired by that idea and motivated by that idea and inspired to squeeze out as much blood in this tournament of mine before my time is up. Love it. I love it. I love the... It's it's one of my favorite things about doing the podcast. It seems like n- nearly every single guest, and especially especially those that are even farther along in the journey, it's like becomes less and less about money and things like that. That that I think people outside the business think think this is <laughs> this is what real why real estate investors are just just to sit on piles of money. It just becomes more and more about impact and giving back and and having. Um, you know, a positive influence on, on the people around you and in your community. So um, it's fantastic. Um, second question for you, Ivan, t- tell us something about yourself that maybe isn't common knowledge, special skill, a hobby, um, anything that you're comfortable sharing. Hmm. Uh, let's see. So I, uh, I have a few passions outside of this real estate world. I'm a big foodie snob i would our category even the snobby level okay i love the i love the uh curated dinner experiences you can go pay good money for uh and really i why i love that is just because i think that's an art in of itself and i love experiencing what another chef imagines or a team of people imagine and create this amazing experience so that's why i enjoy that I love the outdoors. Uh, I grew up in Oregon, like I said, something about being in nature is just uh, incredible. And I think uh, the last things I love to travel. Um, I will eventually create a business where I'm still doing good, providing good, but it's going to allow me to have more time for travel down the road. Um, And I want to travel with my boys, continue to travel with my boys when they're still in their younger years. do you like to cook or you like to have it cooked for you? I like to have it cooked for me. Okay. Right. Uh, I mean, I think cooking, I can get passionate about it. I, I like making good cocktails and drinks though. I'm pretty good at it. Mojitos, my kind of go-to. I'm pretty good at that. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Um, when people hear this and they want to reach out to you, what, what would be the best place? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can send me an email, Ivan at anthemcp.com, I-V-E-N at anthemcp.com. And then we'll take the conversation from there. Perfect. And we'll put that in the show notes. Uh, final question for you, Ivan. What's a piece of advice you would give to someone who wants to get started in real estate? They're just not quite sure um, what direction to take. Absolutely. Um, join a mentorship group. Join a mentorship group, 
or attend a real estate conference um, and ask questions of those who are part of that real estate mentorship group before you decide what direction you want to go. You'll glean a lot of information about the next steps that you decide to take for yourself at a relatively low cost and a high impact on your time because it's all curated in one weekend event. You get a lot of questions answered in just that. Yeah, that's great. It's a great place to to sort of start your journey, figure out, you know, you can meet meet a lot of people in a short amount of time and, and be, um, you know, sort of direct and intentional about that. Um, well, listen, this is awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for uh, sharing all that you did. And I, I think, um, you know, your, your tips on asset management uh, should be tremendously helpful to people that are, you know, focused on that area of um, multifamily investing. So thank you very much. My pleasure. Very welcome. And it's great being here. Yeah. Awesome. And folks listening, uh, I know you're going to love the episode. Please like, rate, and review so we can get more guests uh, like Ivan um, and keep the show going. Thank you. Have a good day. I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey. Without a strong why, it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential. My name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you.